0: Hello, Marvelites, who are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 611. I am Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M.
1: And I am Angelique Rocher. What's up, Ryan Panagos?
2: What up? Um,
0: We're getting close to Comic-Con, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but everything's busy and there's crazy stuff going on. And woo, 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 woo. How are you?
1: I'm glad that you mentioned Comic-Con because, like, we have so much stuff and we have all the official stuff because this is... The official Marvel podcast where we get into all of the things happening this week in Marvel and obviously clearly next week because we're going to be talking about Comic-Con. And uh, yeah, that includes games, books, toys, movies, TVs, or whatever we're excited about because we're excited about a lot. You know what? I'm
0: excited for everybody to hear my interview with the one, the only, the legend, that is writer, artist, storyteller, creator, freaking mastermind, Brian Hitch. I talked to Brian about his amazing career leading up to the new title, Ultimate Invasion. Here's a little clip.
2: This just had to feel like it was a real functional, breathing, ongoing universe that hopefully afterwards... Jonathan included, but a lot of writers and artists are going to have a nice time exploring, not just because it's different, but because it gives new opportunities for different stories. At the end of the day, that's all we ever want, isn't it?
0: And yes, y'all can hear that full interview with me and Brian Hitch later on. If you're not reading Ultimate Invasion, you're done messed up, fix your life, read that book, listen to this podcast.
1: Also... We got a little surprise for you on mm-hmm. this episode. We have a Marvel Insider Code this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to make mm-hmm. it catchy. Ryan, here's the thing: um, we are excited about a lot of things, and, and just give me one second because we're gonna we're gonna get to Comic Con. Uh, mm-hmm. But I know that you are very big on the interwebs. I don't. I wouldn't say I like internet, but I am internet, and therefore, you know that we got a little sneak peek at. Uh, <laughs> one of the coolest pictures I've ever seen, uh, which is our baby Wolverine is back. <laughs>
0: yeah, we, we saw uh, Ryan Reynolds, star of the upcoming Marvel Studios untitled Deadpool film. We haven't gotten a lot. We got those teasers and those little things where they announced uh, Hugh Jackman is going to be there in in the film alongside Ryan Reynolds, so he's going to have Wolverine and Deadpool. And then just... Brian posted the photo of Deadpool, full costume, Wolverine, yellow and blue costume, looking fierce.
1: So good. But it means so much to some of us for this very anticipated movie and then to see him in the yellow and blue.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> I got to spend two trips in Australia on the set and behind the scenes and talking with Hugh and James Mangold, the director of, of The Wolverine, was just so cool. I posted a picture of me, arm around Hugh, claws popping out of my fist. He's got claws popping out. So basically, I feel like I could be a part of this film.
1: As Are you saying that you're Wolverine, Ryan?
0: I mean, maybe in an alternate universe across the infinite multiverse. Yes. Would it be the ultimate universe? Ooh, no, no. Por- <laughs> You're like, no, por-
1: nope. I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm fine. Wolverine of the ultimate
0: universe has gone through some stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, correct.
0: Yeah, it's a great image. If you guys have not seen it yet, you can find it on uh, Ryan Reynolds' social media, Hugh Jackman' social media, the Deadpool' social media. Good things to come, I'm sure.
1: There are some other revelations <laughs> that are going on in the Marvel universe. That's right. Marvel Studios' Secret Invasion, Episode Four, came out this week and you know what i was ready for it episode four might be the best one yet
0: i love it this one like it was it turn the screws in a whole bunch of ways so uh, i'm hoping everybody's digging it stay tuned two more episodes to go i
1: don't know uh episode three kind of broke my heart a little bit and then i looked how the shot was shot and then i was like you know what I have hope, nothing. and I'm not spoiling anything. Also, congratulations to Disney Plus and the Marvel Studios Ms. Marvel team on picking up three Emmy nominations this week. Those three are actually Outstanding Music Composition for a Limited or Anthology Series, Movie or Special. Man, I love the fact that they have this category. That nod went to composer Laura Cartman for a time and again. Uh, that same team also picked up a nomination for Outstanding Original Main Title, Or theme music, which, oh yeah. Outstanding picture editing for a limited anthology series or movie nomination went to editors Nona Kodai and Sabrina Plisko. You know what else is going to be amazing, Ryan? What's that? You're going to Comic-Con. You're going to Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah. And it's next week.
0: It is next week. Of course, we have marvel.com slash SDCC for all the details, such as panel schedules, which we shared last week. I'm not going to rehash all that, um, but hey, are you ready? Do we have exclusive merch info? Do we have booth schedules? Do we have signing schedules? All those juicy details, folks going to the con and those of you following along and maybe have friends going that you just need to know. Not yet. Oh my God! Relax. We don't have wow. the info yet. It's wow. just the way it goes every year. That was year. a ride. I know
1: that every year. Like you brought me there, and I was like mm-hmm. really ready mm-hmm. for you to say yes. Nope. Oh. Nope. You know what? Wow. Every year,
0: whether it's New York or San Diego, we are working on all the information like up until the last few minutes, the last few days. So. This episode comes out on Friday, July fourteenth, so it's, you know, just a couple days before San Diego Comic-Con starts. Over the next couple of days, into next week, Monday, Tuesday, definitely Wednesday. I <laughs> Hope so because that's preview night. I'm gonna be <laughs> boots on the ground at San Diego Comic Con. We should have all that stuff. But most importantly, make sure you're following us on social media, uh, all the Marvel channels, uh, the Agent Ms on uh, on all the places as well. I'll be sharing all that stuff out yeah. and Marvel.com/sdcc for all those things and eventually all of the videos that we're gonna publish, the photos, the details. We're gonna give live lots of lots and lots of updates. The live stream all. All that stuff and more.
1: Uh, I like it. Also, you're not going to be there alone. You got a couple of friends are coming with you, I hear. So it's going to be Ray Lowe, Langston Belton, Mm -hmm. and Josh Chalet will also be there with you, hyping up the crowd, keeping it together. So it's like you got a whole like crew. Yeah. And we're going to be doing some
0: fun live like interviews and things on the stage that everybody can sort of be a part of and participate in. It's going to be fun, and I'm giving stuff away for Marvel Move, we're doing panels, there's a whole bunch of stuff, so stay tuned. But Angelique, that's Comic-Con in the future. You also went to a convention recently, you did some cool stuff, tell us some of the highlights, especially anything revolving around people who are in Marvel stuff.
1: Yeah, I was just at uh, Superhero Comic-Con down in San Antonio, Texas, and it was pretty great. Um, I... Honestly, highlight of my entire time there is I got to meet Andrew Garfield, <laughs> but that's not the point. The point being is, we also had some great panels, including with Lizzie Olsen uh, talking about um, her time as Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I talked to Brie Larson, who is mega excited about uh, the upcoming film in November, uh, Marvel Studios, The Marvels, which I am also extremely ready for because. My sweet, sweet, amazing badass of a superhero, Monica Rambeau, is in it. Um, but also got to talk to Amelia Clark. She gave us a little bit of insight on how uh, she created the background in her mind for Gaia, which was
0: really dope. Gaia, of course, her character in Marvel Studios Secret Invasion.
1: Yeah. Um, and how much fun she's having kind of being in the MCU. Uh, she actually joined together with her former co-star Kit Harington, who you may know from another Marvel movie, Marvel Studios' The Eternals. Yeah, it was just really great. And we talked to the Kate Bishop, aka also Gwen Stacy, from Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and from Marvel Studios' Hawkeye. And it's just so much fun talking. Haley Steinfeld. Yeah. Just the best. Thank you. You are really keeping... Hey, Ryan Panagos. Tag team, tag team, Ah, tag team. You're the best. Oh, but the piece de resistance... For those hmm. who have seen Marvel Studios, Gardens of the Galaxy 3, and you met one of the coolest villains ever to be <sighs> on screen. Oh my God, also that movie, so many tears. So I had a chance to interview for his very first Comic-Con ever, mm-hmm. Chiwudi Owuji, who played the High Evolutionary. Oh my goodness. The nicest person I've ever met in my entire life, and if you've seen that movie, you're like, "How did you play that role? Being the nicest <laughs> person in the whole world." That that's the magic of of
0: a great actor, right? Oh. Like they can do some really cool things.
1: Brilliant, oh. and he really loved that role, and so we got a chance to to introduce a lot of fans to him. So it was a great weekend, man. Busy, packed, love it. Fantastic. Uh,
0: back to Comic-Con, because how about we give y'all some info about Marvel Spider-Man 2, because they announced a Hall H <gasps> panel at San Diego Comic-Con 2023, which is very cool. That is happening Thursday, July 20th, from 2.30 to 3.30, and the cast and creative team for the game will be in Hall H for Marvel Spider-Man 2 Symbiotic Relationships.
1: That includes Insomniac Games Senior Creative Director Brian Intahar, Senior Game Director Ryan Smith, Senior Narrative Director John Paquette, and Senior Art Director Jacinda Chu. Joined by Yuri Lowenthal, the Peter Parker, Najee Jeter, the Miles Morales, Lauren Bailey, who is uh, Mary Jane Watson, and Tony Todd, oh my gosh, who is playing Venom. And let me tell you, if you have never heard Tony Todd before, that voice... Legend. Like, is one of the reasons I had nightmares as a child. I'm not going to lie. Candyman. Same. Dude. Same. 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 (laughs) So (laughs) scary. Uh, Along (sighs) with the VP and creative director, the Bill Roseman from Marvel Games, discuss this upcoming game.
0: This one's going to be really cool. Uh, A lot of behind-the-scenes stuff on Venom and all the aspects of the game. Are you playing as Miles and Peter? And it's going to be cool. This is a big Hall H panel, so get excited for this. Now, I will say there's a half hour between this and our This Week in Marvel X-Men panel. Those of you out there, I believe in you. I believe you can make it. Make sure you're there for both of those. We got surprises. We got giveaways. We got fun stuff for that one.
1: I feel like this is just a commercial for Marvel Move in the making. And Ryan, you can make this happen.
0: (laughs) Yo, I listened to an audition for the person who's going to be voicing Jumbo Carnation (gasps) in Marvel Move. Yeah, we got Jumbo. We got Emma. We've got Sinister. We've got Jean Grey. We've got Wolverine. We've got Jubilee. We've got a lot of characters in it. It's going to be so good. That's
1: just our X-Men story, baby. (laughs) All right. Uh, See, right there. You did it. All right. Yo, speaking of Marvel games, because you know I love them, an upcoming Black Panther game was just announced from the new EA Studio Cliffhanger Games. Now, Ryan, we both know there's a lot of Black Panther Mm -hmm. going on right now, but this specific game... Um, from Cliffhanger Games, and from those who don't know Cliffhanger just yet, it's a new AAA development studio at Space Out in Seattle, and it's working on an original third-person single-player Black Panther game in collaboration with Marvel Games. Their mission, which they have accepted, is to build an expansive and reactive world that empowers players to experience what it is like to take on the mantle of Wakanda's protector, the Black Panther. You have played Black Panther before, maybe, but you have not played Black Panther like this. The team is led actually by Kevin Stevens, who is formerly of Monolith Productions. Cliffhanger has already brought together an accomplished team of talented leaders from like critically acclaimed innovative action adventure games. I know, Ryan, you're a huge fan of Middle-Earth, Shadow of Mordor. You know, there are folks out there who love Halo Infinite and God of War, Call of Duty. The development team at Cliffhanger is, like, really working in partnership with Marvel Games, and that's what I love about all the games that have Marvel on them, right? Like, it is a collaboration between the Marvel Games team and and folks who have come to bring it in, and they really want to ensure, and this is in quotes, so I have to say this so well for you, that we craft Every aspect of Wakanda, its technology, its heroes, and our own original story, with the attention to detail and authenticity that the world of Black Panther deserves. And I'm gonna I'm gonna quote Kevin here. It's an incredibly rare opportunity to build a new team around the values of diversity, collaboration, and empowerment. We want our game to enable players to feel what it's like to be worthy <clears throat> of the Black Panther mantle in mm-hmm. its unique story-driven ways, and we want cliffhanger games to empower everyone in our team as we collaborate to bring this amazing world to life.
0: Plus, you've got other upcoming games like Marvel Spider-Man 2, a Wolverine game, an Iron Man game, uh, like so much more. Marvel Games is going to make working. sure we're all eaten yeah. well, well the next couple of years.
1: I love this idea, and I'm glad they they talk about this intention to detail and authenticity in these original stories, because when you look at games like Marvel's Spider-Man. You look at games like I'm sure Marvel's Wolverine is going to be like, these are original stories and they do bring in folks who have worked on the comics. Everybody goes to these comics. I know, Ryan, you and I, the first time we ever went out on the road together was E3. Um, And I got a chance to talk to the Chu um, and all these other folks. And, you know, they really do delve into the canon and then go, how do we create the best story we possibly can. And that's something that Marvel Games is so, like it's core to building out these games that we know and love.
0: Mm -hmm. In a whole different kind of games news, we just announced an upcoming expansion from the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game. Sing it with me.
1: Spider-Verse! I was a little off, but I think I almost got there. Keep practicing. This is
0: coming summer 2024. The Spider-Verse expansion takes you deep into the life of Marvel's most iconic hero, Spider-Man, and all his variants and villains from throughout the multiverse. This expansion to the Marvel multiverse role-playing game has new rules for creating spider heroes of your own, which is good. You have a spider-sona in your heart. Bring them to life in the RPG, along with a deep dive into all the spider mythos, you could explore new ways to build compelling supporting characters, new rules to handle symbiotes and clones, and how to deal with your biggest foes, like the Sinister Six, new equipment, new adventure books, dozens of new characters, including Carnage, Chasm, Madam Web, Spider-Ham, Spider-Man Noir, and more. All that is delightful. Of course, that is coming, again, 2024 in the summer, so we got a year to wait for it, but you don't have to wait that long for the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game. The core rulebook releases August 2nd, 2023, currently available for pre-order wherever books are sold. You need more info, go to marvel.com RPG for all that juicy info. All right, let's keep on rolling, talking about some comics, because Star Wars Dark Droids is coming soon. This is the big summer event for the Star Wars comics. There's a malevolent being known as the Scourge that threatens to take over everything in the galaxy, from droid to cyborg to humans. Can anything stop its horrific march to ultimately control the Force? I don't know. I guess you're going to have to read and see.
1: I mean, wait, was that a question or were you, you didn't seem very confident about that, right? I don't like it. I don't know.
0: Well, I guess we're going to have to wait. It is a uh, a horror story in the Star Wars universe. Very cool. We're going to see droids doing all kinds of stuff, getting hijacked by this new entity. Um, There's going to be technologies merging that we've seen maybe in both Dr. Aphra and in Star Wars, a hidden empire. So if you've been reading those books, You'll be ready. If you haven't, go on Marvel Unlimited. Go to your local comic shop. Check them out because Star Wars Dark Droids number one of five, which is written by Charles Soul and Art by Luke Ross. Two of those sweet boys. I love them both. They're going to be on sale August 2nd with the second issue coming out September 6th. And we're rolling on from there.
1: I love it. Also, a good horror story that involves droids.
0: Love horror when it's done well. And it's uh, this one's going to be real good.
1: All right, if that wasn't enough, if Dark Droids wasn't enough, if Secret Invasions weren't enough, we have got a brand new ongoing series from the two dudes they call the Hive Mind. Oh, and I love them both. Colin Kelly and Jason Lansing are bringing their Winter Soldier, a.k.a. the Revolution, into a whole new world. He's going to create his own strike force. Them strike forces are going to be the one, the only. Yes, that's right. The Thunderbolts!
0: Woo! Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. It's very exciting because you're going to have Bucky leading this team after all the things that have been going on in Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty. Great book. Go read it, everybody. Enjoy it. But all that he's learned from that, Bucky's gonna lead a team that's gonna have some of the toughest, deadliest, strategist and strategist.
1: Assa- I like it. Strate- strategist strategist and uh, Ooh, yes.
0: characters to assist him, including Black Widow, Sharon Carter, A.K.A. the Destroyer, White Widow, Red Guardian, U.S. Agent, and Shang Chi, all under Contessa Valentina Allegra De Fontaine. Woo!
1: Well done. She mm-hmm. would be proud of you. The great thing is, too, the series that they did with Bucky, also, you know, the ultimate Carmen Canaro. Now we are going to have an artist who I'm very excited to see their work Geraldo Borges is going to be coming on to this ongoing series. Y'all, like, Bucky knows things he should not know. He's the only person who has these dark secrets. And now he's like, they're going on these high-stakes missions. They're going to be dishing out justice that's, quote-unquote, overdue. I don't think anybody in the Marvel Universe is safe, y'all.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, stay tuned for more information about Thunderbolts and more at the Marvel Next Big Thing panel next week at Comic-Con. Again, more information. Stay tuned to marvel.com slash sdcc. This week, we got the announcement of a brand new Carnage series. The Carnage books that have been going on have been gnarly as heck and uh, sort of like a, an interesting way for them to wrap up, but pushing in all new directions. And so this November, writer Torin Grunbeck, we love you, Torin, and artist Pere Pérez. Uh, Vupere, holy crap, that's a great team of my God. Uh, They're working together to lay the groundwork for the next Venom epic in Carnage. It's got Carnage on a collision course with Cletus Cassidy. The Marvel Universe may never be the same. I'm very excited this. We're going to have some really interesting reunions, some brutal, brutal moments, and much more. This is going to be some full of some unexpected twists and turns, beautiful art, great stories, going to be brutal as hell because Torrin don't pull any punches. And it's also going to lay the groundwork for the next Venom epic, which I think is really very cool. Again, this is out in November.
1: Alright, and for folks who love Spidey and his amazing friends, we got more coming this summer. The hit series brings their web spinners and our new friends like <laughs> Lockjaw, The Thing, and so many more. I... I love Lockjaw so much. Fans of the hit animated series on Disney Junior, Marvel, Spidey, and his amazing friends can get excited about this summer because the gang is back, along with some new friends, some new suits, and tech, and a whole new batch of adventures. This time, Peter, Gwen, Miles, and the gang are web spinners. And our new folks who are joining the team... I love this cast. The Thing, voiced by Andy Milder, uh, Miss Marvel's teleporting dog Lockjaw is voiced by Dee Bradley Baker, and the power-hungry robot supervillain Zola is voiced by Trevor Duvall. They're going to be joining the ranks of the popular Marvel heroes and villains who appeared in this hit Disney Junior series, including Iron Man, Hulk, Black Panther, Rhino, Doc Ock, and Green Goblin. The first episode titled Stolen Web Quarters <laughs> premieres August 18th on Disney Channel and Disney Junior and sees Zola taking over the web quarters and Team Spidey must figure out how to stop him from stomping all over the city.
0: All right, y'all. We got some really cool stuff from our friends at Hasbro this week, all the Marvel Legends stuff. And I'm going to just say this right now. Yes, we've got some cool stuff this week. Maybe. There's even more next week during Comic-Con. Ooh, I don't know. I'm not saying nothing. But this week, Hasbro announced some really cool stuff, including the latest addition to the Marvel Legends series premium roleplay line with Captain Carter's shield. Yes, yes, yes. This is a one-to-one scale reproduction of Captain Carter's Amazing Shield based on its debut appearance in Marvel Studios. What if that animated series that we all know, we all love. It's got series-accurate sculpting and detailing as well as adjustable straps, so you're always ready for battle. Uh, We have a little like... Uh, a foam version of this shield for Catherine here. So I like I have to get the like the legit real shield. She's gonna lose her mind when she gets it. I can't wait. It is up for pre-order right now at Hasbro Pulse and most major retailers. Now that could be it, and that would be a super terrific week, right? Oh, that it is more, my friends. There's even a Spider-Man versus Morbius Marvel Legends series two-pack, which I I looked at this and I was like. They did the dang thing both in their email because uh, they say it's Morbin time Mwah, chef's kiss but also that the Spidey has his six arms ah uh, it's so cool it's like the six-arm saga Spidey uh, that you know from the original appearance of Morbius but also from a couple of other places so it's a spider-man versus Morbius figure set and it comes with, obviously, the two figures, three comics-inspired accessories, including Morbius' cape and Spidey's alternate hands. That is up for pre-order real soon, and it is coming out this fall. Get excited.
1: Uh, so, Brian, uh, mm. Yes. We have a little announcement from Marvel's pull list.
0: Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, Marvel's pull list has been the podcast that gives all the updates on every Marvel comic every week. Our picks for this week. The new issues that came out are Miles Morales, Spider-Man number eight, Fallen Friend number one, and X-Men Days of Future Past Doomsday number one. Yo, Angelique, really you gotta to read. I'm
1: really scared to read that. I don't know. You told oh. me about that. I was like, every. It's
0: gonna break you. It's so good, but yeah, it's devastating. Anyway, our reading club this week is with original co-host of Marvel's Pullist Tucker Chet Marcus, my friend. So good to have Tucker back. The circle becomes complete with him there, and we discuss a dear favorite book of his and mine, and uh, co-host Jasmine read it for the first time. It was wonderful. It is Thanos Wins by Donny Cates and Jeff Shaw and Antonio Fabella. But why was Tucker, I guess, this week? Well... I'd normally tell you to listen to new episodes every Tuesday, but this week's episode was our final one of Marvel's pull list, at least for now, for the foreseeable future. We're going to incorporate some of that content here into This Week in Marvel. The announcement came out with the podcast release uh, early this week. And I just want to say thank you to all the, the listeners who wrote in. I've been looking at emails and tweets that came in. Thank you to John Schubert and Mike Nagiro, Karis Pollard, Super 7-5, a whole bunch of others out there. Apologies if I don't get to you, Jace Lacob, everybody out there who listens dedicatedly every week. And I know we provided a show that got you right to the comic shop and made you spend more money, which was both a blessing and a curse. If you are listening to This Week of Marvel already, great. If you're new to the show because you came over from Pull List, great. If you know someone who doesn't listen to This Week of Marvel but should, freaking get on them. Fix their lives for them. Yeah, please. send
1: them the link like hmm. yesterday. Hmm.
0: But thank you for everybody for listening. Thanks for everybody who worked on it.
1: You know, Ryan, I love the pull list. I've loved the pull list for a really long time. You know, I'm a huge fan of the Tucker Marcus. And I just want to like shout out because you've worked at Not just talking about the comics, but like highlighting the artists, highlighting the cover artists, bringing in other folks to talk about their favorite books. And it's really a community. So, you know, shout out to you and Jasmine. Ben Morris, who I know, I believe, has worked on the show before. Obviously, Tucker Marcus. Um, So on top of getting all of the dope stuff, we are also getting Jasmine Estrada. And I look forward to everybody joining us over here, right? Because we're not going to stop talking about the dope books that are coming out. We're not going to stop talking about the recommendations or bringing on guests. They're just going to be over here on Swim. And we invite you all to like, subscribe, bring your friends, sit down, get some popcorn. uh, Because we're going to keep doing what we do. Coming up, and you don't want to miss it, Ryan's interview with Brian Hitch. Don't go anywhere.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos,
1: And I am Angelique Rocher. at least on Mm -hmm. Tuesdays and Thursdays.
0: Look, you know, in my almost 20 years of Marvel, I've never gotten to talk to Brian Hitch. He was so influential to, honestly, the current era of... Of comics storytelling uh-huh. in so many ways. If Brian wasn't drawing comics, comics wouldn't be the same. That is not hyperbole. That is, tr- that is just truth. Yeah. The way he drew Ultimates to everything he's done has completely changed the landscape. And We get into some of that with Brian. I, I would love to talk to him again. I think we will. Maybe at the end of Ultimate Invasion because that's what we're talking about. Most importantly here in this chat, let's get right into it. We are joined by Brian Hitch. Hello, Brian. How are you? I am very well. Very excited to talk to you. Uh, so, I want to start off asking, what is your Marvel origin story as a fan, as a reader, as a as a as a comic? You know, what what got you first connected to the Marvel characters?
2: I started working at Marvel UK just before my seventeenth birthday. Started working <laughs> with um, with those guys. So, really, my actual first exposure to Marvel as a company. Was where Simon Furman and Richard Starkings were editors back then, so we were doing Transformers comics and um, GI Joe European missions called Action Force, but that's what it was. Just before that, I think um, the last couple of issues of Daredevil Born Again showed up in my local newsagents. Um, that Frank Miller David Mazzucchelli story. So that was actually the first Marvel comics I bought off a stand, really, <laughs> and I, I just I just thought, well. If that's Marvel <laughs> comics, then I want to read some more of that. I mean, the thing was, I, I, then it reminded me that I, I, when I was when I was a kid, there was there was a Marvel UK, and they reprinted stuff in black and white. So some friends had given me these little pocket books. They were re, black and white reprints. There were Jack Kirby Fantastic Fours. The first issue I think was Reed and Sue's wedding, which was I think was an annual originally. Annual one, yeah. Yeah, and um and then there was um John Burns Captain America was reprinted as well. So I'd seen those, but I kind of they hadn't registered, I'd loved them, but then I hadn't registered they were kind of a whole new universe to explore. That came later pretty much at the time I turned pro and Simon Furman lent me um all his Thors and all his daredevils and all of that stuff to read. And I was just, you know, I just thought this stuff is just Walt Simonson's Thor was 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 one of those things where it just why wow, the scale of that and the way it built and the the, the epic nature of the fantasy in the story, I just thought was terrific. So my Marvel Origin story, I think pretty much starts with um with turning professional at at 16.
0: Which in and of itself to me is such an amazing, fascinating story. I recently read all of uh, the Marvel UK Transformers and and hunted around for a lot of the Head stuff because I'm about 10, 11 years younger than you. When I was, you know, like in that early age of getting blasted with all the comics that I loved, there was the like Marvel UK Renaissance of the early 90s here that we were getting in the US. And so I was getting exposed to a lot of those characters. You know, checking out your early uh, transformer stuff and, and Death's Head and stuff, super, super cool. What were those collaborations like for you, especially as a young artist of 16,
2: 17 years old? Really, it was more about the realization that I, despite the fact that I'd grown up drawing all the time and I was clearly the best in my class and at school and all that stuff, then suddenly being a professional and you realize you know absolutely nothing about <laughs> how to do any of it. It's a combination of just struggling to... This is what I remember anyway, just struggling to be able to do the job um, on any level of professionalism, whether that's just delivering or delivering a good job, along with the the enormous uphill climb of learning how to do that stuff. Yeah. So it was um, <clears throat> I, I think I, I started well before I was really ready to start. I think I had an, a fairly innate sense of storytelling, but my drawing was was really not not there at that point so that's kind of what i remember about it but the people i you know i worked with back then see people like simon and richard they were very tolerant to a you know a young lost <laughs> autistic teen you know so you know there were, there were a lot of nice people around and that's that's the thing i've found in comics most of all i think is that the vast majority of people who work in this industry are very nice very encouraging and very welcoming people i mean considering we mostly work on our own Anyway, as as artists and writers, but there I've always found that to be true, at least ninety nine percent of the time. Anyway,
0: so what what was your first U.S. Marvel work? Was it Sensational She Hulk?
2: Yeah, I mean it was. Yeah, so you're still it's a teenager
0: she- at that nine. time too.
2: I, I was. I was. I just nineteen. <laughs> yeah, and um, see, this is another example of how great people were. So Bobby Chase was terrific. All the Marvel chaps were so nice, encouraging, and welcoming. But Working with Steve Gerber as a writer on that was just amazing. I knew his work from Howard the Duck, but Steve was just possibly the nicest man I'd ever met. You know, he even came over and flew to London, then took the long train journey to the north of England just for an afternoon to drink a bottle Mm. of whiskey, smoke 20 packs of cigarettes, and tell me the the most amazing stories about working in media in you know in the entertainment industry, but he was always on the phone. He was always kind. He was always generous, and he was always encouraging. So, although I still really didn't know what I was doing because I'd never really drawn women before at that point, so let alone drawing Shield <laughs> and following John Berg. Um, floundering is how I remember that. But Steve was terrific. That's pretty
0: amazing. And you know, obviously, you drew a lot of X books in the early '90s. I remember. Being wowed by that X Men Prime cover and like staring at that and being like, "This is so cool." Were you a fan of X books, or just like these were the assignments? This is just the work that you were doing, and this
2: is where you were going. Well, the thing with the X Men by that point is that you know we'd we'd had you know the huge success of the '80s. It was the legendary John Byrne stuff, which we all kind of know was always on the verge of cancellation because the sales weren't great then. That sales stuff started much more during Paul Smith's kind of era on the book. So we were all aware of that. i read Simon Furman's X-Men. And, you know, Claremont was a bit of a legend too. So, you know, I'd done that stuff on She-Hulk. Then I'd gone and done some work at DC. I'd done some Superman and uh, stuff. And then I ended up back at Marvel UK again in the early 90s, which also came about with me moving to London from the north of England. So there was a bit of a life change going on there too. So when all that's folded up like the following year and we started, you know, my first stuff going back, to Marvel US was this X-Men material. And know, we were just kind of passed through the massive Jim Lee era. You know, the sales were through the roof. And even though my first book, which was X-Men Prime, and then I did I did an issue of X-Men, it might have been issue 19. I'm not sure. But um, but I did the both of them fairly quickly. So I remember scripts being horribly late on them and not having a lot of time. You know, the big pull for that was, I suppose for me, it was like this is the biggest selling comic. So I'm being asked to do. A massive thing on the biggest selling comic. Uh, and I'll be fair, it was the most money I'd ever earned in my life at that point. The royalty check for that was just just <laughs> astonishing. It was like a year's income. Oh, um, a good year's income just for doing like the one month's work. And then I got the check the following month for the issue of X Men. I was like, holy shit and then the bottom <laughs> fell out of the market. Yeah. <laughs> and the royalties suddenly disappeared literally overnight.
0: Oh, it's brutal. Is it true then in like the sort of like the, the mid, lateish 90s? You're almost out of comics. I, I had read that you were thinking about like yeah. leaving comics. What was it that was
2: pushing you that way? It was a combination of things. I, by that point, I'd been a professional for 12 years. Um, and, you know, luckily, never without a day's work for the whole of that time, you know. But I wasn't making any traction. There was even before that, I'd, I'd been talking to DC about doing a project. And I was told I wasn't a big enough name for it. And it wasn't that big a project as it turned out to be, but that was DC's thing. So, look, you're not a big enough name. And I thought, you know, am I good enough? Am I, you know, am I ever going to be big enough? You know, how do you get to that stuff? Because I thought I was putting a lot of, you know, effort into work. And I thought by that point, the stuff I was getting offered was honestly pretty crappy. And I thought, is this really how I want to earn my living then? Do I want 30, 40 more years of, not getting jobs that I wanted to do. I, fe- I felt I was better than I was being able to be. And so, yeah, 12 years. Then I started thinking, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I can take those skills into things like production design and storyboarding. Was in I got in touch with Brett Blevins who was storyboarding for the Batman animated series at the time and all those kind of stuff. And he said, there's a possibility of openings there. So my thought was take on whatever the next job turned out to be do it quickly earn a bit of money get some money behind me and then go and try that and that job that came <laughs> up was Stormwatch, which jim lee admitted oscar jimenez had started this Stormwatch relaunch with Warren analysis mm-hmm. and jim later told me that they tossed up between me doing it and him doing it um they gave it to him and it just disappeared down a toilet of schedule um <sighs> And so I came in and just blasted through every page they gave me. And the the schedules were horrific. Sometimes we had to turn an issue around from script to print in about a week and a half. Um, But what that did do was connect me and Warren Ellis. And we just connected. We started talking about what superhero comics could be. But we just thought, you know, more irreverence, bigger budget visuals. You know, the idea of, I mean, what became known as widescreen stuff. And part of that was coming as well out of of the idea of working what image had become at that point because it started with Jim and all those guys and it was all art over story it was just big images cool shots over story, but we thought what if we combine that big story big ideas, choose where you put the big image and for me that was sometimes and all these thoughts I'd had about how to do team books and superhero comics, which had kind of been there as it turned out a lot earlier than I thought and I'll come back to that in a bit. It all came together when. Warren sent me a single-page document called the Authority, and actually that came about because after Stormwatch, so they were why were like we've got to get pitched something else to do, so they they chucked a possible book at me which um, was written by Alan Moore called Promethea, which ultimately I didn't do for the best as it turned out because you know you couldn't have got it better than the way it was done I mean, so, and I I could not have done what what Williams did on that, no. that's all, and so. Warren said he faxed through this thing about called the authority using the old stormwatch characters and a few new ones which, one of which was going to be um this idea of super big stuff happening in the real world and what it felt like in the real world and suddenly it just all clicked you know it was just there and I suggested the whole stuff with the carrier and and some big budget ideas for the visuals and we just knew we had 12 issues in, in a heartbeat and it was honestly It was, it took 12 years to become an overnight success, but it happened on that (laughs) book because everything just, that was the first book where I stopped trying to draw like other people. And just the question wasn't how would John Byrne do this or George Perez or Alan Davis or Neil Adams? It was, how do I want this to look? And I trusted my own instincts over what I thought it should look like rather than, you know, just saying, I think it should look like this rather than maybe it should look like. That was where the whole thing changed, really. That was what stopped me going into animation.
0: It's it's a bummer, because we lost you at Marvel for nearly five years at that point. But without that change, I mean, I, one, I'd I honestly believe the industry would be different, art would be different, the books would be different, but you may not be here at all. So it's a good thing. What was it about the Ultimates, then, that brought you back to Marvel in 2001, 2002?
2: After the authority, I went on to... Justice League, and and although Mark Wade and I got on really well personally, we didn't click the way Warren and I did at that point. And then one day I got a call from Joe Casada. He said, You know, hey, the lunatics are running the asylum over here. (laughs) Um, Literally, that's what he said. That was his opening call. Do you want to come and play? I was like, Yeah, what, what you got in mind? He said, Well, we got this thing called the Ultimate Universe. Spider Man was quite successful. Mark Miller's doing the X-Men book. Um, we thought maybe you and Mark might want to do the Avengers thing. And it was just like, yes. I mean, genuinely. <laughs> and then Mark called me and we we were on the phone all day just talking about what the book could be. That's what brought me into it. It was just you when you get a creative connection, both with the person you're going to be working with, the environment especially then, you're going to be working with and, and joe and, and bill james at the time had said look this is new so anything goes whatever you want to do there were literally no other directions than that do what you want but i had a whole summer to kind of think about how i wanted to design it as well because i had been asked to do the first toby mcguire spider-man movie was coming out and not long after that period but they had not got any licensing images because there hadn't been any successful VFX done. So there were no Spider-Man poses that could be lifted from the film because they were struggling with, as it turned out, I didn't know this at the time, Bill told me later, but they were struggling with how to do all the CGI for Spider-Man, how he would move, how he would swing and and leap and all that stuff. So because they had nothing to put on the lunchboxes and the t-shirts and stuff, they hired a, a couple of I did I did absolutely loads of them. I know some other people did them too, but I did a series of about 15 or 20 pose shots of Spider-Man and just in pencil and, then, and digitally painted over. And that ended up being the bulk of all the licensing imaging that came out. And you know, I was paid really well enough to take the whole summer off, watch Wimbledon, um, <laughs> go to concerts, and just think about nothing but how to design The Ultimates, which, as it became known. Uh, had you known Mark before... No, it was just, just through his work. He and I are just a few months apart in age. Um, we grew up only, you know, an hour away from each other, as it turned out. And, you know, we had all the same cultural backgrounds to a degree. So it just, we, we did hit it off fairly uh, immediately because I suppose we're, you know, fellow Brits. Um, and I grew up on the Scottish borders. Yeah, it, it was just like something of a kindred spirit, really.
0: Yeah, obviously, it's, it's special, you know, especially now looking at it with 20 years of hindsight. And I remember being a reader, a fan and feeling the the spark of those books as they were coming out. Um, You know, and you have this summer to take off and, and sort of think about it. You had these conversations with Mark. Did you Did you guys feel like there was something special that you were creating there?
2: Yeah, it was it was, it was pretty instant. But actually, you know, as, as, as horrific as it was, it was 9-11 that changed everything we went from being cosmic and you know gods coming to earth and asgard crashing into into new york kind of stuff to the coalescing of the idea that what would it be like if these people lived for real in the real world what would it feel like to the rest of the world what would it look like to have people like thor and captain america and iron man in new york um so when you start thinking about that it being new york What does it look like to have Iron Man really flying between real New York buildings? And, you know, we were exposed in 9-11 to to the horror of what real super terrorism looked like. And pop culture exists in the world it's created and the time it's created. It's never timeless. And that was very much a post-9-11 book. It wasn't how it started. But because we hadn't actually started drawing issue one and writing issue one until... It just changed the perspective on how it looked. And then I drew a picture of Captain America with his shield. It was just a sketch, but it was Captain America with his shield, a flak jacket, and an automatic rifle. I faxed it to Mark, and he said, you know, that is possibly one of the best but also most horrific images I've ever seen of a superhero. I said, yeah, but he's not a superhero. He's a super soldier. He's always been called that, but he's never been treated like one. So let's make Steve Rogers a soldier. You know, that's the man who leads the group of characters like and th- that, and then the idea of making them. Therefore, there would be the superpowered wing of Shield, you know, because Shield would be protecting Earth against terrorism. It's just all those logical steps, and that came because we stopped trying to do the Avengers, as it were, with Kang and and trying to do something that reflected the world that we were living in at the time. And you know, we've said it numerous times elsewhere, but the highest-ranking military man in the world at the time, the spokesperson for all of the stuff that was going on post 9-11 was Colin Powell. We said, that's Nick Fury. That's what Nick Fury's got to be like. He's got to be black and he's got to be basically idealized Colin Powell. And who else would have played that better than Sam Jackson?
0: (laughs) Now it's, you know, we're... What, 16 little over 16 years since the yeah. the, the ultimate the end of it yeah since the end of it's ultimate's two number 13 i still every once in a while will think about that big gatefold in uh yeah. at the end of it there it's uh it blows my mind still i i think about that you know you mentioned adam adam has a great gatefold in the 90s with wolverine and like these these things that just sort of like you, you sit back as a reader and look at them and just like go how the f do they think of this and do this, and it's really cool. That was eight pages, right? Uh, yeah, open. yeah. Which actually turned
2: out to be physically the largest you can do in a monthly yeah. comic. <laughs> when that only came about, I wanted three. So the sequence in, the, in that in that issue was there was a splash page, a double page spread, and then I said, "Can I just have one? You know, so we can fold out one little bit extra, so we get that escalation of scope." They said, "Oh, we'll check with Joe and Buckley." And Joe came back. He said, Jim Lee just did six in Batman, so you have to do eight. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how the hell does that how what does that even look like? You know? But actually it turned out to be the quickest and easiest thing I ever did on that book. So I think it was just like this giddy end of term, you know, summer holiday larkiness that I had, because <laughs> I'd struggled so much with a lot of things on on the book for a lot of different reasons and, and coming to the end of that, I think. I think I drew that eight pager in six days. Took Paul about two weeks to ink it, but um, I just I just flew through it because I think it would also we we planned it because we had to know how it was going to print. I had a lot of time to figure out how you work with something that big because we had to start with little maquette models of 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 how it would fold out, and then once you see even a, a small thing folded out like that, even small eight page thing folded out, you realize that that you only ever get two possible depths of field one at the beginning and one at the end because you have to lead the eye across the page and that's a lot of leading so if you put like a deep depth of field in the middle of the double page spread you're going to scan across left to right and your eye is going to then pull into the middle and not go across to the right so I put two perspective drops if you like one on the left and one on the right so you've pulled out on the left side everything scans you across because it all moves left to right and then at the end there's another Sort of depth of field on the right hand side to push you back into the shot so and then I used quicksilver to kind of lead you around so um it was just one of those things the problems all solved themselves because it seemed like there was only one way to do that shot and it was so much fun doing something that huge and seeing it come together I love that stuff I love all the big scale stuff and the widescreen multiple thousands of characters and multiple cover connections I just I, I live for that stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, not not to blow smoke up your skirt, but you you're the best to do it. It's freaking great. We're going to talk about that a little bit. We're we're getting close to time. I want to make sure we hit a couple things because obviously, you know, you're at DC again for a while, and you come back in 2021. How do we get you back and lock you in on 16 issues of Venom? Freaking awesome, really cool stuff.
2: Well, I think I was only asked to do five issues of Venom. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Ultimate Invasion, but Ultimate Invasion kept getting pushed back and got delayed and delayed and delayed. So I just stayed on Venom because I was having a lot of fun. Um, but I hadn't done a Marvel monthly at all, you know, really, because even though Ultimate was supposed to be monthly, it came out three to four times a year. So you know, we got 26, although there were extra-sized issues because I don't think more than one or two issues were ever 22 pages. <laughs> it all ended up somewhere between 22 and um, and 48 pages, depending. Uh, because famously Dan Buckley's, but the last issue when I got the script for Mark, although Mark had written his twenty-four pages, I said, uh, "You know, this is going to be about thirty-eight by the time I'm done with it." Um, and Buckley said, "Well, tell you what, why don't we give you an extra issue? Take twenty-four pages per issue, then you've got forty-eight. You've got an additional ten pages." But then issue twelve came in at thirty-eight, and issue four came <laughs> at twelve, came, uh, thirteen came in at forty-eight. So it's like, how did you turn that into <laughs> almost a hundred pages? I, was like, I have no idea. Um, so, uh, I think my proudest moment with that was when CB said, do you want to do that Avengers alpha thing to kick off Jason Aaron's final run? I said, yeah, I'd absolutely love to do that. And, and Brevort was, um, skeptical because I was still on Venom and I was doing Venom as well. And, and I, I think I'd laid Tom low quite a few times, um, in the past (laughs) with, um, schedules, especially on fantastic four. So, I think he's um I think his eyebrow was probably higher than anybody else's in terms of whether I could do it or not, but I did do it, so <laughs> I think the eyebrow came down, and um you know, I got a good job pig, you know <laughs> from <laughs> Tom. <laughs> hey
0: that, that's nothing to sneeze at that's the, <laughs> no, I know. The thing? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah so i think I think I was pleased by that because I felt like i i I'd, I'd certainly felt like I'd put a lot of my own demons if you want it's too strong a word, but i I I put it to rest a lot of doubt that I might have had. You know, I mean, I knew I could do the monthly stuff because I'd been doing it.
0: Now we've got Ultimate Invasion. You mentioned that they they sort of brought you back with the talk of Ultimate Invasion. Yeah. Was there a chat with with Jonathan Hickman at some point that, that sort of galvanized that for you? Was there a big pitch? What was it about Ultimate Invasion that was... Part of the selling point?
2: Um, back to well, America. it was it was going to be something new. I mean, despite the fact that it's been billed as like a resurrection, it is the resurrection of the principle of the ultimate universe, but it isn't that ultimate universe. Mm-hmm. I stayed on the project anyway, because I wanted to work with Jonathan. We've talked about working together on off for the best part of 15 years. And so it never really happened. So that, you know, the, for, for us both to get to do this was um, one of the, you know, the key points of why I stayed around and uh, stuck with the commitment to do it. Yeah.
0: The the first issue is a blast. I like what it sets up. And then I read the second issue and I was like, this is not at all what I expected. And I am so oh, excited about it. Like the character, there was a bunch of reveals and fun stuff. For you, I'm I'm sure that's gotta be fun. You know, you don't want to retread old ground, but it's you yeah. know, you're getting to design and redesign and, and conceptualize some really cool stuff.
2: Well, it's also about um the fun is from issue two, especially, you're creating a fully functioning real world full of almost familiar characters uh, and they're not the same and the the focus is on different characters you see as this book goes on by the time i've got to the end of this all of these characters now are as real for me as the classic marvel universe and the original ultimate universe was they're sort of living and breathing and they feel functional and i know them and i and actually it's one of those things i get to the end of it it's always you know it's issue 4 is um a 50 page final issue these are big issues issue 1's 40 pages two and three are 31 pages each and issue four is 50 pages. You know, I I'm, I just feel like I'm hitting my stride when I'm getting to the end of issue four because I just, I I feel like I I really know how to visualize this world on, it, on the full scale of it. But the nice surprise for me was the different lead for the story from issue two and how much I really enjoyed drawing him. I'm not going to say who it is because I think I'll leave that surprise for people who get to read it. But, you know, issue one, we know starts in the, the classic marvel universe so from from the end of issue one onwards with that epilogue if you like with um those very familiar characters and that very familiar marvel event from then on it's a completely different place it's a completely different universe and it's not just wouldn't it be cool if this just had to feel like it was a real functional breathing ongoing universe that hopefully afterwards jonathan included but a lot of writers and artists are going to get have a nice time exploring, not just because it's different, but because it gives new opportunities for different stories. At the end of the day, that's all we ever want, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you know, it's twenty years of difference between what the Ultimates was back in the day, the Ultimate Universe, and and now, and that idea of what if the superheroes were real in our reality, you know, in a modern sense. But that twenty years, the entire world has changed. I'm sure you have changed immensely in that time. So, if
2: I did all the original Ultimate State, it wouldn't be like that. It wouldn't feel like that. And to be honest, you know, the, the the Ultimates somewhat highly influenced the visual and directional approach to the cinematic universe. I know it's moved on since, but initially in the conception, it was the proof of concept for all of those guys, and that then you know re impacted the Marvel comics for the last you know, 12 years as well. So you're in a world now where all that's happened. So you can't go back and do the same thing. And I didn't realise that I, I suppose I was a different artist until I started doing this because to a degree, I feel like I've been doing the same thing for 20 years on and off. But actually in doing it, I'm not the same. I don't approach things the same way. And, you know, circumstances can never be repeated. The world is not as it was then. Jonathan isn't Mark. The relationship between the writer and artist on this is different. And you're always fighting the speed at which somebody reads a comic. So having landscape to physically move the eye across, and sometimes you need a lot of that. You don't normally get that in a monthly comic, but they've been generous about letting me loose on this stuff. So must say the issues are quite meaty.
0: I am very much here for it. I'm very excited. Uh, I, I will let you go. I will just make one request. And kind of, hopefully some way, somehow, we'll get you to draw some death's head again with uh, the the you of now. Taking a little. <laughs> I did it. one a couple
2: of years ago, actually. Simon, uh, Jeff, me, and a couple of other guys, we did a signing in London Forbidden Planet just before COVID struck, literally the week before COVID um, lockdown. Everybody went into lockdown the following week. And I was just like, you know, I haven't drawn Death's Head since, you know, I was what, 19 or something. Um <laughs> the original one anyway. So I, I came home and I did a very quick it was two hours I spent on it, but I did the splash page action of shot of Deathhead. And it was terrific. You know, it's like we've got to wish I could have drawn like that back then. Um, <laughs> you know, a fan bought it literally instantly, but I've got an image of it somewhere. I'm, I can send it to you. But it uh, you know, it's it was such a change to bring the the me of today onto the stuff I was doing as a young teen and struggling with. Yeah.
0: Young teen would be, I'm sure, very impressed with everything you've done. Thank you so much, Brian. Um, very much looking forward to the rest of Ultimate Invasion and hopefully much more from you here at Marvel. My pleasure.
1: Oh, man. Uh, that was Brian Hitch, who was working on Ultimate Invasion number one. And it is in your comic shops right now. Go get it. Or, I mean, you can also just subscribe to it or download it or get it wherever you get your comics. Yes. And Ultimate
0: Invasion Number 2 comes out on July 26th. If one was good, two is friggin' fantastic. And when I the, the day I talked to Brian, he was working on the final issue.
1: Uh, what I love is Ryan Penagos does not throw around compliments when it comes to comic books because he's read... So- So many
0: of them? Here's the thing, Angelique, and this I think is important. If I don't like something, I'm just not going to talk about it. But when I like something, hell yeah, I want to scream about it. I want to talk to people about it. I want to get people
1: hyped. So are you saying The Hills Are Alive with The Sound of Ultimate Invasion? I
0: want to sing it so badly, and yes.
1: So let's move on. Before I start quoting every musical I know, which no one has time for that, (laughs) I move on to Community, a.k.a. This week in Messages.
0: Yeah, uh, thinking about our guest for next week, we're going to have on Chris Allen, who is one of Marvel's Stormbreakers, but he's also the current artist on Black Panther, doing some very, very cool stuff. I read issue number two last night.
1: If you have not picked up Eve Ewing's Black Panther and you have not seen, one, Eve Ewing's Black Panther, two, these pages. Oh, the panels I don't have words for them. They're just they're just so pretty. Like and pretty is just not the right word. It's just they're good, man. Just go just go pick up the book. And and get ready for
0: our interview with Chris. We're gonna to talk to Chris about a whole bunch of stuff. But you know, I was thinking about our question of the week for, for next week, and I was thinking, what's your favorite? Black Panther costume. Now, you, you may think, no, oh, it's just like a Black that. Panther look. No. There's a lot of iterations, even for T'Challa. Yeah. You know, sometimes subtle, sometimes more drastic. But there's been numerous, numerous Black Panthers.
1: Yeah. There's like mm. ears, mm. no ears, cape, no cape. I love a cape look. So a lot of people don't know that he also kind of put on a persona. And I count this as a costume. So mm-hmm. I want to I make this broad. And he was a school teacher in Harlem, and he dressed as like a quote unquote American school teacher. It's not like Mr. Rogers, but he's got a he's got a kind of like a clean teacher look to him. Whatever
0: iteration, whatever interpretation you dear listeners want to bring to this, let us know. I still go back to the two cape versions. The original, like the OG Jack Kirby version, because it's kind of a it is oh, a yeah. fully formed perfect design. Like you okay, cool. He's amazing.
1: But also, like, you can, like, see him, like, like you can see him about the spring into action in that costume. Like, every time I think about it, like, I think about him, like, crouching, mm-hmm. like, ready to pounce yep. in those panels, yep. like, stalking the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just... Mm, Yeah, so
0: good. And then you you flip and then go back to the Marvel Knights era, right? And Mark Texera and Reggie Hudlin and and like that vibe and bringing back the cape and like the big collar and like that look. Right? Oh, the Ugh.
1: collar, man.
0: Uh, so we'll we'll be sure to talk to Chris about his favorite Black Panther costume, but we need y'all listening to tell us your favorite Black Panther costume. Tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at Marvel.com. Send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it's okay to read Twim on the show so we can read it on the show. like, what was last week's it. question of the week?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, what Are your favorite marble reimaginings from the original Ultimate Universe run? And y'all had some really great answers. Yes,
0: you did. First up was Urbe Doroteo at Herbie underscore Excelsior, who said, my favorite reimagining in the original Ultimate Universe is the Ultimates. Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor lead a team of Ultimates of Earth 1610, an Ultimate Universe version of the Avengers. And that, like, as a whole, that team, that vibe, everything, so influential, so important. Again, Hitchy, you did it.
1: All right, Wolver Steve at Wolver Steve, The original Ultimate Hashtag Wolverine. Well done for getting that into the algorithm. Being ripped in half by Hulk was insanely good. More so since he survived to fight again. Love it. Also, ow.
0: Yeah. Like, I remember that that was a limited series, Ultimate Hulk versus Wolverine by Damon Lindelof and Laniel Francis Yu. And just like, what happens now? And they they told the story. Hell of a thing. Hell of a thing. Uh, Super75 <laughs> at Super75 said, I really like the ultimate Green Goblin. Such a fun character design. And I liked how he was even bigger physical threat to Spidey as well as psychological.
1: Joe Vance at Above Average Joe. Oh, well done. Mm-hmm. Reed Richards going villain mode as the maker and Ultimate Hulk. No question. Yes.
0: Superheroes for Doa at Super for Doha. Tweeted my favorite reimagining of the Marvel universe through the Ultimates has to be Nick Fury depicted like Samuel L. Jackson because he's the absolute best. Nuff said. Much love for you both. Thank you, Joe, over at Superheroes for Doa. Oh, we got a we got a late breaking write in.
1: Oh wait, hold on. Uh, I think uh, I think we may know this one. Jasmine at uh, Jazmiest. I've never had to say that out loud. Blue baby Tony Stark. Oh, sweet mother. (laughs) Oh, Jasmine. We love you. But we got some emails too, right? Yeah, we got an
0: email from Paul Warren who said, so many characters to pick from. Mm, Ultimate Hawkeye is noteworthy. Family man. Tragic story. Good take on the Avenger with a limited power set. I imagine my wife would pick Ultimate Daredevil and Elektra falling in love in college.
1: Oh, My heart. Yeah. All right. We've got an email from Ben Axelson. Hi, Ryan and Angelique. Hi, Ben. Uh, Mm -hmm. Been a while since I wrote in. So just wanted to say welcome back to Angelique, who is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And in, if I recall, stands for Glob Herman just like me. You're right. I stand for Glob Herman. Period. Now I'm getting back to your letter. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this question was well-timed as I'm wrapping up a 700-plus issue reread of The Ultimate Universe. Mwah! There are so many cool ideas in here, and some of the ones I love the most really fly under the radar, like Wolverine's wet work for S.H.I.E.L.D., the rewriting of both Tony and Reed's powers that describe their kinda gross <laughs> biology, and all of Spidey and his amazing friends living yes. under one roof at May's house. So good. Yeah. But the one I love the most is the romance between Kitty Pride and Peter Parker, which I always thought made so much sense. Too bad it couldn't last, but let's be honest. Peter was a typical teenage boy, and Kitty deserved better. <laughs> Great show, and always keep them coming. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Ben, shout out to you, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you just wrote a full commercial for people to go and read. That 700-plus issue. Yo, like just to imagine... So much goodness in 700 issues.
0: Yeah. I don't have to imagine. I've been reliving it through uh, producer Jasmine Estrada, who she's (laughs) been doing the reread. And every week I'll get an update of what she's read most recently and and the highs, sometimes the lows. It's been a good time. I can just
1: imagine Jasmine like running in and like, are you serious?
0: Yeah. Oh, what? my favorite is Jasmine being like, Ultimate Marvel team up was the best. I'm like. Yeah, it was completely the Wild West. They were still figuring out what the hell the Ultimate Universe was. They brought an amazing artist, and it was just like kind of not canon, but like just fun.
1: Yeah, It's okay. That's how I felt about Exiles the first time I read it. Um, Exiles is the greatest series of all time. All right. And we have an email from Carol. I think my favorite Ultimate Universe story character has to be Ultimate Spider-Man. After all the love I've heard for The Ultimate Universe this summer, I decided to finally start reading that series, and wow, it's amazing. I agree. I've got to shout out The Maker, though. Since I read Secret Wars 2016, I've been absolutely fascinated by that character, and I find him so interesting and intriguing. His worthy inclusion in Ultimate Invasion is one of the main reasons I decided to put the book on my pull list.
0: We got one more email. Jim Marsh says, when the Ultimates launched, the character whose reimagining struck me most was Ultimate Thor. I loved the ambiguity of the character. Was he a lunatic with access to dangerous technology or a Norse god whose trickster brother was messing with him? The team never being quite sure if they could trust him or if he could even trust himself brought a fun twist to the Thunder God. Also a shout out to Kitty Pride and Peter Parker's first date in Ultimate Spider-Man Annual Number no. 1. Such a wholesome and adorable Issue, yes, yes, Jim.
1: The other thing that I love with Thor's story, but this is in Earth 616, is the whole Donald Blake saga situation mm-hmm. when he became Dr. Donald Blake. Thor has got some deep cut, interesting <laughs> twists and turns, yeah, in his a little bit god life, a little <laughs> um, bit. So we're just going to put you in this human body for a little while, okay? Okay.
0: Speaking of human bodies, take your human body and get yourself some Marvel Insider points because we've got a code this week. If you're not signed up already, head over to marvel.com slash insider where you can earn points for doing stuff like reading comics, articles, even listening to this very podcast. Plus, we have a very special code for listening to this episode. The code is Ultimate Invasion.
1: It's valid until uh, 7, 21, 2023. And for Those who need me to say the other way, July 21, 2023, uh, and you will receive 5,000 Marvel Insider points when you enter it into the This Week in Marvel podcast code redeem activity at marvel.com slash insider. Limited number of redemptions available, one redemption per Marvel Insider. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents, 18 plus only. Terms apply.
0: All those terms they apply, and they'll apply even next week because we're done here. This episode of This Week of Marvel is produced by Cara McGurk-Allison, Isabel Robertson, Jasmine Estrada, Ryan Panagos, and Angelique Rocher.
1: Our senior manager of audio production and development is
0: Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio.
1: A special thanks to Brian Hitch for being the guest on the show this week, and to you.
0: Special thanks also to one of my favorite ultimate memories is when Spidey meets the X-Men, And he sees Jean Grey and she's like, oh, thanks for being like the only guy who's never pictured me naked. And then there's a silent panel. She's like, oh, okay, well, you just did it. She's like, please stop doing it. Oh, it's getting worse. It's like this whole sequence and it is hilarious.
1: He's a teenage boy.
0: He's so gross. Anyway, we're done.
1: I'm Ryan. I'm Angelique. This is
0: Marvel. Your universe.